Ready? You ready? Yes. This week on Safety Stop. I'm 16 hours in the future. Please welcome Brandy. <laughs> Hi, listen, Linda. Listen, listen, Linda. Number one rule of scuba. <laughs> welcome to La La Land. You scuba? We scuba. Mermaid hair, don't care. That's interesting. Oh. Yeah, I some sharks, like, no big deal. <laughs> I also have a lot of hot air. <laughs> You're Warning! This show is unscripted, so be ready to laugh your ass off. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Safety Stop. We're your hosts, Sarah, Char, and Megan. And tonight is joining us from 16 Hours in the Future. Please welcome Brandy. <laughs> Hi, Brandy Mueller. How are you? Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. We also have another guest with us tonight. Some of you might know him. It's our fellow safety stopper, Ian Wells. Hello. Hi, Ian. Hey, guys. Ooh, I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have both of you. Ian's not in Indonesia. No, no. I am here with you. It's so cold. So, yes, Brandy is joining us from Indonesia, where she is co-hosting a photography workshop. Yes, it's very warm here, and the future looks bright. <laughs> the future is bright. Oh, yes. So it's going to be a good day for us tomorrow. Yes, it's going to be great. <laughs> Lovely, because I would say I have, a, I have a few questions in for you. <laughs> Stock information, what's up, what's down, what are we looking at? What's the horse? Horses to bet on. Yeah, winning, winning lottery numbers, I've got them. <laughs> Perfect. So Brandy is an accomplished underwater photographer has been published in Dive Travel Magazines, as well has her own book coming out called The Airplane Graveyard that focuses on World War II airplanes that sunk in the Pacific Ocean off the Marshall Islands, mm -hmm. which is very exciting. I can't wait to dive into this. Dang <laughs> <laughs> it, you guys. Um, and on top of that, Brandy, you also have uh, a big long career as a dive instructor. You've been in, certified as an instructor since 20 and you've worked on liveaboards and resorts, worked as a boat captain to name just a few of the jobs you've had. Um, and we know you touch on this in your book, but for our listeners, would you tell us a bit about how you got into diving and how that's brought you to where you are now? Yeah. Um, as a kid, I was always obsessed with the ocean and manatees and dolphins and whales and everything. And um, I was lucky enough, I was a foreign exchange student in high school to New Zealand and my host family were divers. So the like opportunity came up that if I wanted, I could learn how to dive. And I was, I very much wanted to and got certified there. And that sort of confirmed the, I really do really love the ocean thing. And I ended up um, going to Florida for college and studying marine science and diving more and becoming an instructor and just kind of kept going with it. So you grew up, though, in a, like, landlocked state. Yeah, I grew up in northern Wisconsin, where it is very cold. And, I mean, there's, I, guess there's, I guess there's great diving in the Great Lakes, but I have yet to be brave enough to get a dry suit and go and check that out. But it's on my list. Yeah, that just doesn't seem exciting as, like, the ocean. <laughs> it's definitely colder. <laughs> but not nicely. Yeah. yeah. I guess we should probably stop complaining about our, what, 60 degree water? Well, Is it, what, 50, 50, what are we at now? Uh, yeah, like 60 degrees right now. Oh, 
Okay. Yeah. It'll get cold. Right? Yeah, it'll get a lot cold. It was 80 this morning when I went diving, and I was kind of wishing I had a five mil. <laughs> you wished you had a five mil. Wait, what? Yeah, it was, it was getting kind of chilly towards the end of the dive. <laughs> oh, you're in the water for well, like two hours, uh, right? It was only like an hour, but it, it felt like a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and how deep were you at this morning? Um, not super deep. We went, I think we went to 80 for a little bit, but kind of sort of a sloping sand patch. So I'm in, I'm in Lembe, which is sort of the muck diving Mecca of the world. Um, so you're just sort of diving around black sand and looking for weird little critters and stuff. So you kind of go really slow and then look for nudibranchs and frogfish and all kinds of fun stuff. Okay. So I didn't realize there was black sand there. Yeah. There is. There's, there's both. There's some white sand areas and some black sand, but it's it's a volcanic area, so black sand. Ah, oh, that's amazing. Okay. All right. Um, so tell us, um, in your illustrious career, going through all of these dive positions at dive resorts and shops and, and such, um, how did you end up it working um, as a boat captain for the Army to kick off uh, my questions, my very long list of questions about your book? <laughs> yeah, so I, I was lucky enough that I worked on liveaboards for a long time, and it's you you get a lot of sea time when you're working on liveaboards. So I ended up getting enough sea time to go and get my captain's license, and I was working in Oahu at the time. And the um, the the shop I was working for kind of trained me up as a captain, and then I went back to liveaboards again, and also had a captain who taught me how to drive the bigger boats. And I got really lucky with getting experience on boats. Um, and then, yeah, I had some friends who worked in Kwajalein Atoll and they hire civilian contractors to come, um, and do all sorts of jobs, but some of the jobs are captain jobs and I'd gone out to visit and it's this lovely Island with white sand beaches and palm trees. And, um, yeah, after I visited a couple of times, I ended up getting a job and I stayed for three years. It sounds terrible. What were some of the size of the <laughs> yeah. boat ships you were driving, captaining, captaining, captaining? So I was mostly driving sort of a passenger ferry. So the the army rents a couple of islands, but then a lot of the Marshallese workforce live on other islands. So I would sort of the like bus or taxi that would go and pick up the workers and then bring them back home from work every day. Wow. How could you rent an island? That sounds pretty cool. <laughs> and then we spent the weekends diving and having fun. <laughs> so are you saying I could just lease an island? Well, you would need to be the U.S. military to lease one of those islands. But, I mean, for a price, you could probably buy one. Well. That's the plan long term. Yeah, yeah. long term. <laughs> but I was like, in the midterm, I was like, can I lease something? <laughs> so I've, I've actually heard Tonga. Tonga is the place where we need to go buy an island. <laughs> Fantastic. So will you come live on the island with us? <laughs> I'm, I'm in. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm in. Okay, I'm in. awesome. Right. <laughs> I'm enrolling everybody. Should we drive the boat? Yeah. <laughs> we needed a boat captain. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I'm on the only female. Yeah, this is going to be, yeah. Wait, do I, do I need to get a sex change or anything like that? Or how's this going to work out? Well, anyway. <laughs> we digress. So when you were um, working as a captain and diving on your free time, was that how you came across this passion project of these aircrafts? Yeah, so the the people who live there have known that the airplanes were there since they dumped them um, back at the end of World War II. And they're a very popular diving spot. So um, 
I know I'd done a couple dives and it was just really amazing. And then I sort of got obsessed with trying to dive like as many as I possibly could. (laughs) So I ended up with lots of photos and it's not something um, a lot of people know about. And people are also very into World War II airplanes and World War II history. So the book just kind of seemed like a good, good sort of different thing to do. Yeah, definitely. You hear about a lot of different types of passion projects as um, relates to underwater photography, but you usually get fish and macro and sharks. And you now know, combining and, and history. Yeah, that's it's very unique, I think. Yeah. So I promise there, there are a couple sharks in there. In fact, there's one photo that's got an airplane and a shark. <laughs> there's some turtles and I think Nemo's in there at least once. So it's not just airplanes. <laughs> so what are some of the depths that these airplanes are sunken. Yeah, are they like accessible for recreational divers? They are. So they they're they're mostly around 100 feet. Um, a couple are maybe like 120, 130 sort of max, and then a couple of them sit up on a sand slope. So like one's only in 25 feet of water and then they kind of they're kind of all over. So but most of them are about 100 feet. And how close are they to one another? So the there's an estimated 150 airplanes in a two square mile area. Wow, we're terrible pilots. <laughs> <laughs> well, the pilots did not put them there. <laughs> they weren't crashed. They, yeah, they basically just put as many as they could on a barge and they'd go out and just push them off the barge and then go back and reload the barge and do it again. So, in so. what year did they do that? In 40? 1945. 45. Wow, it's a lot of aquatic life that's now calling it home. Yeah, so it's been it's been almost seventy five years since they were put in the water. And has any of them like shifted over time, or sunken deeper, or broken apart? You know, I I actually don't know that, <laughs> and I don't know anyone who dove them back. I don't know when they started diving them. At least for sure in the seventies they started diving them, but yeah, I'm not sure. It's, so Kwajalein is a, it's an atoll. So like there's sort of an almost completely enclosed area in the middle, a big lagoon. And it's one of the biggest lagoons on earth, actually. Um, so it's a pretty protected area. So it's, it's different than like where the Kitty Wake is, where, you know, the, the hurricane sort of shifted it. Um, because it's like in the sheltered area, it would be less likely to get that kind of stuff. But you could get some, some movement and eventually they'll deteriorate over time. So now, were these planes stripped or are they still like... Stripped to some extent. Um, and a lot of them, they took the propellers off. So sometimes there's propellers like sitting in the seats of the planes and like scattered around the sands. And a lot of them have their wings removed or the planes that had retractable wings, the wings were folded. So um, yeah, so we I think they took some parts off them, like anything that could be useful but at the end of the war, these planes were sort of already becoming outdated and hopefully we weren't going to have any more wars and they weren't going to need the airplanes. So they just got rid of them. Well, that wasn't the case. Yeah, I know. It's like, oh, it's so sad. I'm like, ah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, did you do a lot of history research when you were looking at the planes? Like, I, I feel like I have like several fold questions, one with like history and then one like starting to dive into like the photography. Like, how did you get in photography? Like, what made you like besides like okay, I'm diving. It's like ah, oh, maybe I'll start taking pictures. And you're like, oh, this is really badass. Like, yeah. So that that's definitely two totally different stories. With um with photography, I was working for Aggressor Fleet, and when I was I think when I was like 21, I started working for them, 
And they always had a photo pro on the boat. And I mean, at the time I just become a dive instructor and, you know, you're like learning all the new stuff and adding new toys to your kit. <laughs> and I always, I had like a little point and shoot and we would also get lots of professional photographers who would come on the boats. So I was always like, you know, probably super annoying them and being like, oh, so what are you doing? And how did you get that photo? And tell me what you're doing here. So I just sort of watched other people and was like, wow, I really want to do that. And years later, I saved up for a DSLR camera and then a housing and sort of built up, you know, from like camera and one lens and one strobe to two strobes. And now I have a lot of lenses and a lot of cameras. A lot of very expensive lenses. <laughs> yeah, definitely expensive, but you gotta, you know, love your hobbies, right? <laughs> now, do you dive with a rebreather at all to like mimi minimize your bubbles when you're taking these photos? I don't yet, but it's on my list. I feel like that's going to be maybe my next thing. I have a bunch of friends who do CCR, so I've, I'm getting a lot of peer pressure that I need to dive into that. I don't know if I trust that rebreather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a whole nother level of like, I also feel like as a photographer, like I focus everything on my photography and with CCR, you need to be paying attention a lot to what you're doing um, and things like that. So I wonder if I know there's amazing people who do both, so maybe. We'll see. It's a lot of extra luggage as well. Like, I don't know how my luggage fees travel. just be insane. <laughs> so tell us about your photography experience leading up to this. So you bug the, the, the photographers on the boat, and then what's, what's your training? Um, I, I don't really have any proper photography training. I just sort of, you know, paid attention to people and then read a bunch of books and then got my camera and just started taking photos and then kept taking photos. And I actually ended up going back to Aggressor years later as one of their photo pros, which is quite cool. Um, and it, it really helps when you can dive every day with your camera, you just, you get better and better just inevitably because you're doing it every day. Mm -hmm. Are there any sp uh, specific photographers that you uh, kind of like uh, looked up to or kind of tried to match their style in some way? Oh, there's so many. Um, Ernie Brooks is like the black and white master. Um, I don't know when I was when I was working for Aggressor, we had a photographer named Carrie Wilk come on the board the boat. Who um, they do the the reef net diopters, and he was just amazing. He actually had sort of a demo housing that ended up flooding a camera, and I remember him sitting on the sun deck rebuilding this brand new Nikon camera, and he managed to get the flooded camera to work again. And I was just like, "You're my hero! <laughs> <laughs> How did you do that?" So yeah, just there, there's so many. There's so many amazing people. Um, Alex Mustard, he's amazing. Let's see, I'm trying to put, so Martin Edge wrote a book called The Underwater Photographer, and that was sort of my like first like underwater photography Bible that I got that I still go back to all the time. And it was funny, I felt like just reading his book by the time I was done, like I'd improved somehow. I don't really know how, but it felt like <laughs> through osmosis and reading his book, I got better. But yeah, so it's a great book if you're looking into learning more about underwater photography. Uh, I'm curious. So when you start off your diving day, um, do you have like a, spe a specific plan in mind? Like, do you start off wide and then like get, you know, start off with macro later on in the day or, you know, how do you plan it out your really dives? It depends on sort of the location and the dive site. So it's really good to like find out as much as you can about where you're diving 
to sort of be able to make that decision based on what you might be able to see. Like here in here in Lembe, it's pretty much all macro stuff. So I pretty much have been shooting all macro since I got here. But then like when I go to shoot the airplanes, it's definitely wide angle. Although I took macro down every once in a while because there's there's tons of marine life growing on the airplanes. Lots of nudibranchs tend to hang out for whatever reason. So um, it's a hard decision though, because it's always like no matter what you choose, you always see something that <laughs> you wish you had the other lens for. Now, do you bring a camera every time? Pretty much every time. Um, Generally, the only time I don't now is if I'm like leading dives where my responsibilities are more of taking care of people than taking photos. But often I can do both. What advice would you give to new photographers wanting to like, you know, because you're going to be the next, uh, you're the next generation of uh, people that will look up to underwater photography. What advice would you give to any individuals that are looking to get uh, to be the next you. <laughs> I don't know if I'm anyone, but you are somebody. Um, I think You're that alive. The main thing is to just <laughs> it's just to get underwater and take photos. And like, I mean, the more you can do it, the better you'll get, and you'll learn more just through doing. So definitely take every opportunity. And I mean, you won't get the photo if you stay on shore. So just dive lots and take lots of photos, and also then share your photos. Like I think every dive photographer has like sort of a responsibility to share what they see just because our oceans are in such not a good state at the moment. And I feel that by sharing our experiences and the love and also the good and the bad of what you see underwater can really help other people sort of think about it and learn about it and then maybe make happy decisions that help the environment in their everyday life. I'm like, (laughs) oh, well, what do you, so for the, um, for people who are not necessarily interested in (laughs) diving and or photography, what, how, but they love the, what you see, what they, what you're doing and what other people like you are, are bringing, uh, to the world and creating to the world. How would you, how would you advise them uh, maybe about, you know, helping the oceans? Um, you know, it's, it's so hard. There's such big problems that I think we often do the doom and gloom and, you know, you know, climate change and garbage and the plastic patch in the ocean and everything that it becomes so overwhelming when we sort of just like yell all of the horrible statistics, which are important, of course. But I think more of like coming up with easy everyday things that people can do that can make a difference. People are more likely to actually do because they can handle it. And it's not as like, you know, everything I do is is horrible and detrimental to the environment. So I'm just not going to do anything. But if there's little changes they can make, I feel like people are more likely to do things. Like I love the straw movement and I feel like it, it's amazing how much that has caught on. And it's such a thing that is completely useless. We do not need straws at all. And if you do, now we have the metal and the glass alternatives and things like that. But it it was such an easy thing for everyone to be like, oh, all right, I don't need a straw. Like, cool. And clearly we need to do more than just straws, obviously. But I think if we could approach things in more easy to manage, like I can make this little change and pretty soon I'll even forget that I knew what a straw was. And if we can do that with lots of things, maybe maybe it'll be easier for people. Yeah. Yeah. 
I love guilt tripping my friends. <laughs> I show them that turtle video and be like, you're an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> I have metal straws, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. <laughs> it's amazing traveling internationally how it is also caught on everywhere. Like, I mean, here at, at Lembe Resort, they've got glass straws and like, even like restaurants. I was like in a restaurant in Singapore airport a couple of days ago and they had the like, you know, here's an option for a straw, but this is why you don't want one. <laughs> and instead of just giving them to people, so... Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. oh, that's awesome. Oh, that makes my heart sing. Right? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it, but yeah, it is. But it's also that's interesting because not to like completely digress, but I, I, my paycheck job, I work in events and there was an organization that actually purposely put straws in all their, their drinks and they were orange and basically they were like, F the government, you can't tell us what to do. And they, yeah, and but they failed to see that it's the little things that we do that makes the difference, you know, uh, which is so important. It's like every day, it's like even just being kind to somebody and saying hello or opening a door that makes the difference in, in each other's lives, you know. And so something so simple like straws makes a huge difference in, in someone else's life. Anyways, I digress. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, it goes on and on. So I think you also asked me about like historical stuff and how I got into sort of like the historical wreck diving. Do you want to hear more about that? <laughs> yeah, please. Because I have some questions so, about that as well. Ooh. So, yeah. So I think um, it was interesting. Like I was kind of for a while, I wasn't even like interested in wrecks. So I was kind of like, meh, like I'm not a wreck diver. Who needs that? And I ended up going on the Truck Odyssey Liveaboard as a guest, which is all World War II Japanese wrecks, and was completely blown away by like just sort of the fact that there's a ship and there's this history behind it, but then also it's covered in marine life. So you're, it's sort of like the best of everything. So I kind of really got into the whole World War II history thing with, with underwater wrecks, and I really enjoy like the stories behind the wrecks that you get to go dive. Is there anyone in particular that stands out to you as something that you like to go back to or take with you? Oh, there's so many. I love them all. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't discriminate. Yeah, it's hard. I just got to go to Bikini Atoll in September, which um, is also in the Marshall Islands, but it's where the nuclear testing was done. So the, the US, USS Saratoga is there, which is an aircraft carrier that's 888 feet and it's the top deck set, the top deck set, I think like a hundred feet, but it goes down to about 165 in the sand. And it was, it was just phenomenal. Like it was, there's a, like, cause it was an aircraft carrier. It was like a whole village is on the ship. So there's like a dental room and there's. And you could go in, like penetrate these ones. You can, if you, if you choose and you're trained <laughs> and you want to. So you have an interesting, um, interesting workshops coming up. I'm curious about like your, is it Saba Ladies Art and Diving? Yeah, Saba. Um, I got to go to Saba for a magazine assignment last summer and completely fell in love with the island. Like it has the coolest, I don't know, nice little vibe. Um, it's a volcanic island and the diving's great and there's all kinds of hiking trails. And the people who live there are just these really awesome group of people and a lot of them are very artsy so there's all these art classes and um whatnot so I sort of I built a trip and I made it girls only because I was I was feeling very pro girl at the time 
And um, we're just going to go, we're going to dive in the morning. And then each evening, we're going to have sort of an art class from one of the, the locals. There's a lady who does glass blowing. And I'm hoping we can do one of those like paint by number with wine things. I might just bring those down with me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So if any ladies want to go diving in Seba, I think I've got like two spots left. Oh my God, that's amazing. Now, how did you get into doing this as well? Like this is, this is a great combination, art and diving. Yeah, I think I try to do everything diving. So you end up doing lots of little things to actually try to, you know, make a living off of it, I guess, or or at least be able to keep doing it. But I worked um, for Dive Oahu for a number of years, quite a few years ago, and I was their travel coordinator for a while. So I got to help plan and organize and lead trips for them, which is really amazing. They, um, I, I would do every other month, we would do a weekend trip to one of the other islands. So we'd go do like two or three days diving Maui or Kauai or the big island. And then we also did trips, since you're already in Hawaii, you're kind of closer to the Pacific. So we went to Palau and we went to Fiji a couple of times. Um, so I kind of still do that a little bit on my own now. That's amazing. It's fun. I like I love diving, so I just want to take everyone else diving and make them love it as well. <laughs> so, Brent, so what's your highest certification right now with your diving? Because you said you were in- instructing. Yeah, so I'm a PADI IDC staff instructor, and I was an SSI instructor for a while, but I'm not currently up to date on that. And I'm TDI, advanced nitrox, and deco procedures, I think. And I'm a solo diver. I guess those are sort of the... The high ones. Oh, Ian, <laughs> she's got you beat. Yeah, I mean, by a lot, but you know, not by a ton. I mean, I just finished my solo diver training, so awesome. I will be teaching that soon. So, but you know, I'm not IDC staff instructor, but you know, it's, I don't care too much about that. So. <laughs> I'm not butthurt, you're butthurt. <laughs> Brandy, how many dives you, would you say you have at this point? I have over 5,000, but I don't know the exact number. <clears throat> Whoa! Do you keep track of them still? I, I don't. And every once in a while, I went through phases where I kept track. But the main thing is like, you know, your dive computer keeps track of how many dives you do. So just every time I got a new dive computer, I like wrote down. So I have like a rough estimate of how many. Nice. I've been diving for 20 years, so I'm old. <laughs> I have a question about this airplane graveyard. Okay. Bring it. So I've been wondering. (laughs) Sorry, I'm going to go back to this. Now, have you met or like spoke to people in the military still or like older generations and showed them your work and like learn more of the history on that side? A little bit, not specifically with the airplane graveyard, but it was very cool when I was living in Kwajalein. um, A couple of times they brought out veterans who had served on Kwajalein during World War II. So we got to meet a couple of the people who had fought there, which was incredibly amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, it's very cool. And there's there's a, a nonprofit in Kwajalein that is searching for, there's still, so the airplane graveyard, the planes were pushed off, so they weren't crashed, but there are MIAs and planes still missing in Kwajalein, Kwajalein Lagoon from the World War II battle that happened there. So there's a group of people who I, I used to, I'm like loosely associated with now, but when I lived there, I helped as well. And they're searching for the airplanes that are still still missing, um, that potentially have MIAs in them as well. And there's like missing in the ocean or missing the, the lagoon. in the lagoon? 
Yes, in the ocean. So yeah, they they we figure they're in the lagoon. And like airplanes are just really hard to find because they're so small. Like ships show up much easier. <laughs> to jump back into cameras, um, <laughs> why Nikon? <laughs> <laughs> why Nikon? You know, I started with Nikon, and it's like whatever you start with, you just keep going with because you get all these lenses and parts, and to switch would just be tragic. And then also like. Their, their buttons are opposite. So once you learn one to like use the other one, it's just like, ah, oh, I can't do this. <laughs> but I don't hate on either. I'm, I'm a fan of whatever makes you happy. I'm a, have, you, uh, yeah. have you had any opportunity to work with any other cameras or it's just like Nikon all the way? I have pretty much been doing all Nikon. My first was a Nikon D90 as soon as it came out. And it was the first one that did video as a DSLR as well. And then I've sort of worked through, um, I've got a Nikon D850 right now and also a D500 at the moment, so. Cool, and then you, you, uh, you're you using what, the uh, the Ike uh, housing, right? Or the Ike Light, Yes, Ike Light, right? yep. I do Ike Light. Um, I'm, I'm proud to be an Ike Light ambassador, and um, yeah. Whenever you go on macro dives, do you have a GoPro attached to your uh, to your housing just in case you need you need to get some like interesting wide wide uh, wide shots? I guess you'd, you could say. You know, I haven't done that, but there is a mount on the housing that you can do that. And I've, I've often thought about it, but I just, I never did. I can hardly get through like editing all the photos that I take. I don't know how I would, I don't have time to edit video as well. I should, it would be great. Is there a particular program that you like to, uh, like to I use? I do, yep. I mostly use Lightroom. That's my main thing. Um, I use Photoshop every once in a while, but usually if I can't do it in Lightroom, the photo is probably too bad and I should just find another one <laughs> awesome <laughs> so what do you what do you use uh i i do the same i usually if i <laughs> if i have to use photoshop it usually means yeah there's a ton of work that needs to get done um yeah it's just there's more tools and you know little things you can tweak your photos in with photoshop but yeah, yeah i tend to yeah if i can do a batch export of just a bunch of photos with a lot of the similar similar settings then that's usually the way that i go so yeah cool yeah now brandy how uh, switching gears i'm sorry we're just like switch gears 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 like this um yeah squirrel squirrel <laughs> now how did the book come to be alive what what made you decide ah oh, you know what next step is a book so I was actually contacted by a publisher who is interested in doing that subject. Um, so I wasn't going to say no. <laughs> and it's, it's definitely a place that's pretty near and dear to my heart. So it was, it was pretty fun. And it was really fun to go back. Like I lived there for three years. So I've got photos over the three years to like go back through all my photos to try to get enough for a book. So it was, it was a nice process to go back and look at everything again and, and write about it. When you're in the book, since it's coming out soon, do you show the photo and then description of it or what it used to be or what do you do with, like, how did you lay out your yeah. book? So I actually, the, the book was co-wrote with Alan Axelrod, who's a World War II historian and a phenomenal writer. So he helped me with a lot of the history stuff. And um, sort of the middle section of the book, we go through each type of airplane and talk about what it did in World War II in the Pacific Theater. And basically, like the planes that I got to dive in the in the graveyard, those fought and and won the war for America. And I mean, they they weren't planes that crashed; they were planes that landed and 
you know, helped helped the the war effort. So he helps sort of go into what this plane was doing. And then it also talks about like the plane statistics and stuff like that. And um, then I sort of take you like diving on the planes. And um, it talks a little bit about um, Operation Flintlock, which was the battle that happened in Kwajalein. And then I talk about living in Quaj and sort of how I got into diving and my whole process there. And then the end sort of talks about, again, when I was living in Quaj and sort of what's going on there now and the people who live there and also things like the climate change issues with Kwajalein because it is a very flat atoll. So it's the Marshall Islands is one of the first island nations that's expected to be underwater from sea level rise. So I kind of touch on that a little bit. So yeah, that's basically the whole book. <laughs> what's one of your biggest takeaways from doing the book? Ooh, um, I kind of want to do another one. <laughs> it's, it's definitely a lot of work. And it was sort of like, like they gave me how many words I had to write. And I was like, oh, that'll be no problem. And then like you sit down and you're like, oh my goodness, like, what do you write about? <laughs> like, how do you do this? Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely hard, but it was, it was fun. And um, yeah, it was cool. I'm, I'm happy with how it turned out. I was, I was kind of nervous throughout the process and I like it. So I hope you guys like it too. <laughs> now, if, when you're going to do your second book, would you, you do it on airplanes graveyard still or? Oh, it's, that's top secret. I can't tell you. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm not sure. I've got a couple of different ideas. I, I'm also, I'm really into the, the wrecks of World War II as well. So that sort of seems like a good second thing. But um, I also, I mean, I'm also really into fish and marine biodiversity and then of course environmental issues so so i'm not sure stand by i combine them all yeah <laughs> what would you do differently on the neck on the second book um i don't know i think just like having gone through the process now maybe doing it again would just be a little bit less stressful and that sort of knowing like what happens next type thing i don't know that's a tough question <laughs> I like the tough questions. <laughs> so you said you lived there for around three years. Did you notice any changes to the wrecks as you were diving or over the course of the time there? Any major, you know, effects of climate change or anything that you were um, loved from the very beginning that you noticed was kind of lost or growth? Or growth? Yeah. We had a large um, coral bleaching event happen while I was there, which was devastating. And because we pretty much dove the wrecks like every weekend or so, you like slowly saw everything turn bright white, like the big hard corals. And also we have a lot of big anemones and they all turned white. Uh, so that was insanely tragic. And then just each week and the water stayed very warm basically the whole winter that year and like never cooled, cooled down. So we were just like, progressively watching it get worse and worse. Um, but on the sort of semi-happy side of that is the next year it did cool down and a lot of them came back, um, which was also interesting to, to watch. And some, some of the anemones came back different colors than what they were before the bleaching event. Um, but I think like Kwajalein is literally in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and there's, there's not that many threats happening to it versus someplace like Indonesia, where there's lots of 
human population and runoff and things like that. So it was it was really interesting to watch and be happy that it came back, but also see how in places where there's other threats, how unlikely it's going to be for them to you know recover as fully as they did there. So it was it was very sad, but then was kind of okay in the end, but still it was an interesting thing to observe. Yeah, definitely indicative of a bigger problem, but I'm glad that that one had a happy ending. Yeah. As for the Rex, um, I didn't see a lot of the Rex deteriorating, but I work part of the year in Truck Lagoon or Chuk, which is a big World War II Japanese wreck place as well, uh, but one that's much more easily accessible for divers. And we have been seeing those sort of deteriorate over the years and um, different areas are collapsing and things like that. And it's been 75 years underwater, so it's basically inevitable, I guess. But Now, say the four of us want to come dive these wrecks. Now, could anybody go diving or how do you set something like that up? It's very, very difficult. Um, you can't... There's no commercial operation there, so you can't just fly in and go to a dive shop and get tanks. You pretty much have to like live and work there, or maybe if you know somebody who lives there that you can get permission to go visit. Um, Master Liveaboards is a, a liveaboard company that is now doing bikini atoll trips, and they're starting or ending their trips in Kwajalein. So they do have the potential if people want to maybe do a dive or two on the airplane graveyard. Um, but that's, that's committing to a like 12 day bikini atoll trip, which is mostly tech, it's tech diving. So you pretty much have to be tech certified to do that. But yeah, so it's, it's not very easy to get to the airplane graveyard. So it's very important to us to have this book airplane graveyards because <laughs> we need to see these airplanes. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, well cuz in 2020 you have a tr- a truck tech trip. Yeah, so that's so that's not Kwajalein, that's Truck Lagoon and um so the Odyssey does I work on the the Odyssey liveaboard and they do weekly liveaboard trips um but it's it's actually made for recreational divers. So if you are a tech diver, you can go and there's enough dive guides and there's enough stuff that you could either dive tech or you could dive recreational and still very much enjoy the wrecks. So I'm going to run a trip in July that is tech divers only. And we're going to go visit some of the deeper wrecks that we don't usually do on a normal trip. So sort of all the wrecks that are in the like 165 to 200, 210 range. We're going to go check those out. So. Oh. oh, Ian would love you for that. So this is this is like rebreathers and doubles and stage tanks and stuff. I'm excited. I'm all about wreck diving. I think that's cool. I think that's fun. <laughs> but when it comes to like going way deep, like down to 300 feet, I'm just like, mm, maybe. But here's the thing, like I... Here's like the one drawback that I get from tech diving. Like, what is there to see down at 300 feet that you can't see at 80 feet? Well, these are like two, 200 to 210 is sort of the max. So it's not that deep. I, I completely agree with you. And I'm, I don't want to do dives to just go and say, oh, I went to 300 feet. But when there's a Japanese World War II wreck that has, you know, like medicine bottles and ammunition and stuff to see, like, I want to go see that. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I spend so much time there and we, we don't usually do the deep wrecks. So like I'm, I'm planning a trip mostly. So I, it's all selfish me. I want to go see the wrecks that I haven't seen yet. 
Teach us your ways, Brandy. Teach us yeah, your ways. <laughs> yeah, Brandy, we just want to know how we get paid to like take people on cool dive trips. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> so you basically, you admit that you're never going to get paid, but just <laughs> do it for the love. <laughs> It's definitely not a money-making endeavor. It's <laughs> it's a passion. Uh, listen, listen, yeah, Linda. Is it paid off yet? Yeah. yeah. I'm like, yeah. I still got to pay rent, yeah. so I'm trying to figure out how I pay my rent and still do cool shit. <laughs> so, in, and I'm, I'm basically, I'm homeless at the moment. Like, I'm not paying rent. I sold my car. Like, I'm just traveling and diving. So you know, gypsy life. So what does your family think of this? Well, I feel like they're just used to me at this point. Like this isn't anything new for me, but I think I made them nervous in the beginning. <laughs> but they were always super supportive. Like my parents are great. And like, I don't know, my mom's just like, tell me where you are. And let me know you're you know, back from a dive you know. safe. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, she's she doesn't ask about every dive or that would be a lot. But like where my plane landed last week and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, does your family have a diving background or is it just you? No, just me. But I got to certify my dad probably, it's probably been like 10 years now, but that was really cool that I got to be his instructor. Were you a hard ass on him? <laughs> <laughs> I was I was super nervous. I like, I just wanted to hold on to him the whole time, which he did not like. <laughs> he also left me. He, uh, we were on a, he had just been certified and I was, like I was working on the boat. So I ended up leading a group and he was supposed to like follow me like everyone else. And he just took off on his own. So I had like customers and I couldn't go and like look for him. So I was trying to pretend like everything was okay. And then luckily he came back and I was like, what are you doing? Come back. <laughs> did you give him an earful when you surfaced? <laughs> I, I, I did a little bit. Now we just joke about it. <laughs> he tells me that he's number one, that I'm supposed to follow him, not him following me. My dad is, so a little backstory. My dad's a retired uh, Navy diver. So he did the whole like hard helmet, awesome. like big suit, go down, fix, you know, plane wrecks, whatever. Um, and by the time he retired, um, you know, he introduced my brother and I to the whole diving, scuba, di scuba diving world, and we were like, yeah! But my dad was like, well, have fun with that. And kind of, you know, left us on our own. And I've never been diving with my dad, so... Which is kind of funny, because, like, I feel like if I get him in the water, I have a feeling his buoyancy is just going to be garbage. And, like, you know... Because, like, the diving culture has changed so much. When I told him about the whole... Yeah, also the, the commercial diving when you're working, you're more of, you know, like doing things that we don't do as recreational divers, like walking around and stuff. The fact that we use BCDs, like mm. the wing on the back, he was like, wait, what's this? He's just like, no, we just kick to stay, you know, in that position, you know. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Or you just weight yourself properly and, you know, mm -hmm. hope for the best, mm -hmm. so. Definitely. Yeah, so, yeah, I haven't been diving with my dad yet, but... Uh, one of these days. I don't know. He's 72, so I doubt it. Oh, take him. You should go. Yeah, yeah. If you need a photographer, call me. But, Brandon, you've been also so many freaking cool places. Like, staring at your pictures, I'm like, that lionfish jellyfish thing happening. I forgot where it went. But I was like, <laughs> what? Like, Maldives, Sri Lanka, which I'm looking at later on next year. Uh, what's your favorite place that you've gone? Oh, it's so hard. There's so many. It depends on what you want to see. But I think I, I went to Galapagos a long time ago, which is before I had a, a big camera. So I need to go back. But that was just mind blowing. Um, 
Oh, there's so many places. I love I love Truck Lagoon because I love the wrecks and I I love muck diving in the Philippines and in Indonesia and Papua New Guinea and yeah, so, had you been There's to this so place called places. California to swim in the kelp? <laughs> <laughs> no, I did. I did two shore dives off Monterey, and that's my only California experience. But I need more. I need to go spend some time in California. So, let me know when you want to take me diving. Yeah, come on, girl. Come uh, hang out. We'll go to the oil rigs or maybe. Uh... We'll stay at 100 feet. She could go down at 300 feet. <laughs> Actually, I'll stay at 30. Everyone go 100. You go at 300. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'll stay at 100. It's cool. And we'll give you scallops to eat underwater. Ooh. So, Brainy, will you tell us what safety stop means to you? Hmm. So I was thinking about this, and I this is going to sound really silly, but I spend a lot of time on safety stops taking selfies <laughs> with my camera. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so basically, anytime okay, if you're on my Instagram, and <laughs> if you're ever on my Instagram and you see photos of me where I've got like pilot fish next to my mask or anything like that, basically I was on a safety stop trying to like corral fish into my mask. And that's what I spend my time doing. Do you have a technique <laughs> for corralling these fish? <laughs> you have to talk very nice. You have, you have to talk to them. You have to like invite them over and be like, please come here. Giving them the whole thing. Tell them that they're pretty. Yeah. You'd really yeah. like to take a photo of them. Buy them a drink, you know. Probably stop with the screaming method. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're scaring everyone away, including your students. Actually, I've used the scream method as well. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you two may be two screaming kindred spirits underwater. <laughs> screaming fish. Right. All right, fishbowl time. Fishbowl time. <laughs> right, you want to do the honors? All right, sure. All right, here we go. Yeah. What do we? Ooh. 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 Oh. What's it gonna say? Oh. Oh. <laughs> no, no, it's still a good one. It's still a good one. Is it? All right. What is your favorite environmental charity? Oh man. That's, yeah, that's hard. Hold on. Can I do a quick Google search? Oh, there's so many. Um. You know, so here's here's a sort of like side one. Um, I've got a friend who does Think Pink, which is actually well, this isn't really environmental. Can it just be? <laughs> hmm. All right, so she does. Um, it's it's Think Pink for breast cancer awareness. So it, it's um, they do a photo competition every year, and if you you have to have something pink in the photo to enter it. And the the fees for the photo competition go in um, to cancer research. So she's basically started this this nonprofit, and um, they also do an auction every year, which you can get fabulous deals sometimes on dive trips. But dive resorts and things, and manufacturers and things donate all these prizes that you can then bid on, and all of the proceeds go to um, breast cancer research, which I don't know, I just think is is phenomenal. It's like you, you're diving for good, and I like that. That's not really environmental, though, so. I like that. Uh, I support that. So really is it every October so. when this takes place? Um, the photo competition, I want to say, is like May, April, May-ish. And the auction is maybe September or October time frame. One's in spring and one's in fall. Yeah, it's cool. You should Google it. It's great. Actually, they're they're out of California as well, and they do they do like pink dive trips where they all dress up in tutus and pink sharks and things. So you should get in on that. Uh, I'm enrolled. My two new noisemakers are pink. 
So All since right. you're a photographer, have you entered the contest? Or since like friends don't count? I have. I've entered no. the contest. I have oh. not won though. Oh. <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty steep, pretty steep competition. The photos are fun. Think pink. Ian, I think you got a new assignment. You know my photos are gonna be like absolute absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely. Absolutely. I really think you should enter this. Yeah. I mean it's you know what it's dive it's dive into dive, dive into, into the pink. pink. I gotta find someone who hasn't completed their hundredth dive yet. Because you know what that means. Oh! Are you naked? Yeah. 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 So pink fins, oh. naked, underwater. <laughs> There's my pink photo. Well, we're deleting this episode. <laughs> you know, it's surprising how much pink there is underwater. Like, I, I was looking through my photos the first time they did the competition. I'm like, I don't ever see anything pink. And then I started looking and I'm like, oh, there's lots of pink underwater. Who knew? So, Brandy, do you remember your 100th dive? <laughs> oh. So I, I, um, I did my dive master in college and then I finished college and I wanted, I found this, I was reading a scuba magazine and they had a teen editor who was doing these summer camp programs on sailboats where you like go and learn how to sail and dive. And I was too old to, you know, be like a camper basically. And I was like, I can't believe I didn't get to do this when I was a kid. I want to work for these people. And I sent them an email. I was like, Hey, like how, how do I get in on this? And they hired me under the pretense of me becoming an instructor. And you need 100 dives to be an instructor. So I had like two months. And I was pretty close to 100. But like I, I did a bunch of Florida spring dives to bring my numbers up to 100 so I could go and do my IDC and my IE. And two days after I passed my IE, thank goodness, I was on a plane to the British Virgin Islands to go and work for them. Oh, awesome. That's a That's good story. Awesome. So thanks so much for joining us tonight, Brandy. We had a lot of fun. We hope you did too. Make sure everybody goes thanks in. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks. So much. Make sure everybody go and check out her <laughs> awesome books, The Airplane Graveyard. He just had to throw that in there. <laughs> We really loved chatting with you and hearing about your journey, and we're so jealous of your life. You can follow her blog at brandyunderwater.com. You can also check out her um, adventures via our website, safetystepscuba.com. Um, thank you so, so much for telling us about all of your adventures. Um, thanks for having me. And thanks, Ian, for joining and us yeah, tonight. Thank you, Ian, night. thank you for co-hosting. Yeah. Till next time. All right. Time, guys. Cheers, guys. Cheers. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Woo. Sam, Sam.